Welcome to See the Change podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Ayala, Communications Director at Sea Change Initiative. This is a space to bring together community builders and change makers to hear the stories and inspire them to take action for social change. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe and connect with us online. Today, we continue our conversation with Indigenous filmmaker and activist Morgan Seta. She talks about her Giant Mind videos going viral, the women who inspire her work, and how she balances Indigenous causes with Indigenous joy in her film projects. Let's dive in. You know, we're talking about media and how governments have often are often able to lead conversations or deliver messages in the way that they see fit. It's kind of amazing to me to see that social media is now forming a connection that creates solidarity between communities that might have otherwise never connected before. Did you think that this was the way to take media into your own hands? Not at all. When I first started, I guess TikTok would be my biggest platform at the moment and ever. Um, So when I first started TikTok, it was kind of just this pandemic pastime that I feel like a lot of people um, started their TikTok accounts during. So I was mainly just interested in what the algorithm was feeding me, things like cats and um, the, the coffee trends that were just all over. Yeah, the whipped coffee. Yes, yes. So I was, I, that's where I started kind of on TikTok. And I started posting like my cat and just being like a reformed Tumblr user from the mid like to late 2010s so I was just like I'm gonna post kind of whatever and then I posted one day about being an indigenous filmmaker so I posted a kind of I've been an indigenous filmmaker for four years now and that was my first post that kind of I guess got any attention from any algorithm that TikTok deemed appropriate so I started getting some followers and I kind of found like a niche where I was this indigenous lifestyle filmmaker, photographer account. And then when Giant Mind started, that's just what my my account kind of became. But when I started with all any online social media, I never really kind of grasped that it could be this tool for education or spreading awareness, especially my own personal platform, I never in a million years thought like, this is what I can do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible to see that type of content go viral. It, it does a good job of delivering those messages. There's a lot of potential in for organizing, you know, based on your platform and on your online activism, you were recently featured in the Toronto Star. Um, what was that like for you? What, what do you think that means for the future of this movement? Being featured in a national publication, what it's tremendously important to spread awareness for Giant Mind, for a movement like this. Giant Mine and the Yellow Knives Any First Nation are far removed from 90% 
of the Canadian population, there's very much an attitude that it is out of sight and out of mind. And that is extremely harmful to my community and just the general public regarding giant mind. People need to be educated on what's going on. This is the Canadian taxpayer dollars that are being spent. It's a vast amount of toxic arsenic that is potentially at the ready to ruin an entire community and vast kilometers of land. So it's it's really important to be featured on national, international publications and for media sites and and like to be featured in articles so that the giant mind can be spread further. So more people can be aware of this situation because through spreading my TikTok videos and just sharing about what's going on, a lot of people were just incredibly surprised and had no idea that this was an ongoing situation, that, that this was something that Canada had done, that had they had had a role in. And and through reading some of the reports that are readily available through the giantmindmonster.ca website, a lot of it is incredibly shocking, just the like the depths. And if I, I recommend any Canadian, if they have just a spare half hour to read through some of those, specifically the health impacts on the Yellow Knives and a First Nation community, that's the most important section because it details from how right at the conception of giant mine when the um when the mining company first started canvassing the area that would not would now hold the giant mine site that they were already in talks with the canadian government the canadian government was well aware that arsenic was poisonous by 1907 when the first arsenic treatment machine was publicly and commercially available. That was more than 40 years before operations started in in Yellowknife. So it's extremely important to note just how much of a role the Canadian government had in this. And it's super important for national specifically publications and media sites to bring awareness to this situation so that all of Canada can be aware. I think that's what is interesting about this particular issue is, like you're saying, there was already so much information on the potential toxicity of this mine. So it's not one of those situations where you know, present day government can look back and have the excuse of, we didn't know it was going to happen. We didn't know that this was going to be so bad. Um, So I think that's very unique um, and very important to know, like you've been saying. And, you know, with your work and getting the the message and getting the issue out there um, to the general public, what keeps you motivated? Um, Who inspires you to to keep at it? One of my biggest inspirations definitely would be my mom and the women in my life. The continual selfless work that they do for their communities, for our communities. And I recognize that I'm just so incredibly blessed to have grown up with these 
this group of women to raise me and to just have this strong, just matrilineal, like ancestral line that just really empowers me. That's, that's my biggest inspiration is to know that I come from this really strong family and that, that they uphold me. Some of the people who inspire me from afar, especially during uh, these incredibly trying times that I have not yet had a chance to meet, one of my biggest inspirations would be um, the incomparable Chief Ladybird, an artist from Rama First Nation. We're currently working together on a mural project in um, Yellowknife, and she's just been just a continual source of inspiration even before we were working together um just all the work that she does for her community is incredible and yeah I'm really inspired by her and also um Alethea Arnakuk Burrell she is a huge inspiration as a director and a filmmaker to me so that's a couple of the names I wanted to drop (laughs) thanks for sharing that and what can we expect to see next? You mentioned you're working on a mural. Like what other um, what other projects are you excited to work on this year? It's funny because I, specifically with my colleagues, I like to joke that I have a million ongoing projects. And if someone were to ask me to do a project today, I would probably say yes and um, further drown myself in deadlines but I have a lot of upcoming films that are going to be published um, through Dishinta Center for Research and Learning. I work with them as their digital media coordinator. So what I essentially do is I'll document our traditional Dene ways of life. A lot of our workers who work for Dishinta are Yellow Knives Dene members or indigenous from other Northern communities from the Northwest Territories. And it's really empowering to work in that sort of work environment. And it's really inspiring as well for from a filmmaker's perspective to always have people who are just as passionate about documenting our traditional way of life. So I have a ton of upcoming short films and projects that I'll be releasing throughout the year. I'll also be working on a feature length film that is currently untitled, but it's, it will be my first personal film that I will be producing. And it's going to be about my community, specifically how we react to the coronavirus pandemic. And that may also play into just the activism and spreading awareness about Giant Mind. Okay, so you're going to be very busy, but that's very exciting to to see that um, that you're using your filmmaking in a way that is empowering to you. And um, one of the things that I, I was thinking about when you know Indigenous people, people of color, they take on the mantle of activism, especially using their work to promote um, causes or, or raise awareness of issues. Sometimes it becomes a little bit difficult to make space for joy, um, where we focus on on trauma rather than strength. So, yourself as a filmmaker, how do you make space and keep space for Indigenous joy in your filmmaking? 
with my work and I and a lot of the work of other filmmakers and activists who've paved the way before me, I believe that there's more of an audience for indigenous traditional ways of life and just seeing what our stories look like specifically through an indigenous lens. There's a lot more of just a demand, which there has never been before. It's always been, there's always been a demand for kind of marginalized storytelling, but it's never been done through a correct lens. It's always been, um, if not if not completely directed or produced by settlers, colonizers, it's produced or funded by them. So it's, it's, it's really empowering to see so many of us using this skill that is filmmaking and photography to highlight what it truly looks like in our communities. And that's really really empowering because a lot of media and a lot of what we've consumed as youth specifically outside of our communities doesn't really shed our communities in the best light so to be able to take photos of laughing Dene babies and just how beautiful the midnight sun is and the northern lights it's 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 really I guess it does it brings a lot of joy to be able to balance those two balance being an activist but also being a filmmaker in in every right so that's that's been the biggest joy has just been able to document what I see on a day-to-day basis to be truly beautiful and to have people who have maybe a different ideal of what beauty is agree because there's no denying that even though it's it's brutal and some of my films specifically regarding like caribou harvesting people even like vegans or vegetarians will comment about how beautiful it was because it's just handled so so delicately and it's done through a lens that is indigenous so that's really that's really empowering amazing it's really exciting um to see to see what's next and uh, community first is a term that we use a lot at sea change initiative it's kind of one of the pillars of what we do what does community first mean to you? Community first aligns with a lot of Dene laws, which if you were to look it up, there's a set of Dene laws that are almost like like testaments to how a, a Dene person is to, to, to live their life in a traditional sense. And those values that are people's, those are values that are people try to live by every day. Some values such as the most important laws would be to help each other and to share what you have, to love each other as much as possible. And it's it's always done through a lens of taking care of each other and making sure that you're looking out for your family members, your friends, your neighbors. It's always this community-driven value that they try to instill in Dene people from a very young age. And it's, it's, it really aligns with the traditional indigenous values that we have in our communities. And 
it's it's almost it's almost something that I feel a lot of cultural communities can relate to because a lot of us don't do things for just ourselves. Everyone can relate to looking out for number one, but you're always doing things and thinking, how will this affect my community? How will this better my community? Does this have an effect on my community? And that's something that not other people have to traditionally think about, perhaps because they're not from a community of people. So it's it's really it's really something that I have been taught from a very young age to uplift my community at the same time as serving myself or promoting anything that I have to do is how does it benefit my community? And that's always, always my number one question in the back of my mind. And that's always what I'm going to be considering whenever I do something is, is it going to be benefiting my community? Because I am always going to be thinking about my community and it's, 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 it just really aligns with a lot of the things that I've already I've already learned as youth in my community, and I respect it a lot. And that's really beautiful. It's uh, it's really nice to hear about your connection and how that's thriving now um, as you continue to create uh, content and and create films. So that's really great. Morgan, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I really love this conversation and um, I really appreciate that you took the time to share your insights with me. Messi Cho, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to See the Change podcast. This has been a Sea Change Initiative production, written, edited, and produced by myself, Tanya Ayala, music by Charles the Emperor. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Sea Change Initiative, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. For more information about our guest, check the show notes for more links and resources. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.